coming up today on the Lead to Succeed podcast. Well, you're busy. You've got a work. You've got a lot of work to do as a leader at whatever level you are. But you're thinking about the future. What you need to do is say, "Hey, what's going to be my learning focus for the next six months or year?" And pick one or two things. And then, rather than just to keep dipping your toes in, certainly if you're listening to this podcast, you want to continue to listen to this podcast, but or whatever of those kinds of things. You want some sort of general nurture. But really what you want to do is you want to say, hey, I want to work. I'm just going to pick something. I want to work on being a better listener. So for six months, make that your focus in your daily work. Be intentional about being a better listener. Read three great books about listening. Do you want to learn the tricks the top leaders use to get the most out of themselves and their teams? Well, Naftali Hoff is here to help. Lead to Succeed picks the brains of top leaders to learn about their challenges, insights, and best practices. Here's Naftali. Hello, Lead to Succeed Nation. It's Naftali Hoff, and welcome to Lead to Succeed, Episode 26. Today's interesting fact is the ideal workplace team size is between five and nine, contrary to the generally accepted assumption that management can fix a problem by throwing people at it. Adding team members beyond that point decreases the likelihood of success. Our guest today knows how to build great teams and how to guide leaders in supporting them. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Kevin Eikenberry. Kevin is a recognized world expert on leadership development and learning and is the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry Group. He is creator of the Remarkable Leadership Learning System and the co-founder of the Remote Leadership Institute. Kevin has spent more than 25 years helping organizations across North America and leaders from all around the world on leadership, learning, teams and teamwork, communication, and more. He is a frequent presenter at professional conferences and a sought-after keynote speaker. He is the author, co-author, or contributing author of or to a number of best-selling books. His newest book with Wayne Turmel, The Long Distance Leader, Rules for Remarkable Remote Leadership, is coming out in May of 2018. His blog is consistently ranked amongst the world's best and most read in, on leadership. Kevin has been named by Inc.com as one of the 100 top leadership and management thinkers in the world and is listed as a top leadership speaker and thinker in several other publications. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the show today. It's such an honor to have you. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here. Just to let Lead to Succeed Nation know, I had the opportunity to meet Kevin at an author's event when I was learning a little bit more about promoting my book, Becoming the New Boss. And even though I didn't have the pleasure of listening to Kevin because of logistical issues that forced me to leave the uh, event a little bit before he spoke, I heard rave reviews about his presentation, and I know he brings so much incredible information and wisdom to the conversation. So we are super excited to have you, Kevin, and I have been looking forward to this conversation for a really long time. I'm glad to be here. So, you know, usually I'm on the other side or often I'm on the other side of this mic, right, where I'm doing the podcasting. And so I'm happy to be just sitting back and answering your, your questions today. Great. Yeah, I know. I've been on both sides as well. And I, I love to lead the conversation, but I also love to be led. And I'm hopeful that I will lead you in a way that will really bring out the best of what you have to offer. So if we could, Kevin, I'm going to ask you right away to take us behind the curtain and tell us a little bit more about how you got started in this work that you're doing. Well, the short version of the story is that um, uh, I grew up on a farm and uh, always felt that I would work 
for myself. I have a business of my own. I worked in corporate America for about eight years, had a tremendous time there. And while I was there, figured out that uh, the work that I do today, although I didn't know exactly immediately, but that the work that I do today is what I was put on earth to do. So I basically went from sales and marketing, uh, found my way in corporate America to training and development and left there after about eight years total to start my company, which was about 24 plus years ago. Wow. Short version of the story. Okay. You kept it short, which is great, but I'm going to dig a little deeper if I could, because you said something in there, which you said kind of like in passing, but I think it's really neat because oftentimes I'm speaking for myself, but I'm sure I'm speaking to other people listening to the podcast. I I think sometimes we struggle a little bit in terms of, you know, am I really doing the work that I was meant to do? And, you know, from my Jewish tradition, going back in, uh, I guess you'd say the biblical times, you hear of the prophets Mm -hmm. and you had the opportunity to, you know, ask somebody really wise, you know, what is my purpose and why am I here and what should I be doing? But how does a person today, corporate America, whatever it is, how did they, or how how did you, I should say, identify that this was really your calling? And if a person is really searching for meaning, do you have any advice for them that would help them feel like I'm really on the fast track to fulfilling my mission in this world? Well, you know, I think uh, it's, an, it's an important question, and I don't know that I have a great answer. I mean, I feel blessed to have found mine. But l- I will say this, that, you know, in the short version of the story, I said that I always knew that I would be an entrepreneur, that I would work for myself, that I have my own company, which was true. But at first, I didn't necessarily know what that would be. Right. And then um, I think if I were to if I were to encapsulate it, I think I listened to my experiences and I listened to my heart. So I found myself getting the opportunity to do a large number of things when I was at Chevron, Chevron Chemical and Chevron and then just started following that. Right. I I had the chance to do some. uh, I taught uh, classes and when I was in graduate school. So I had the chance to do training. A sales training almost right away at Chevron. While compared to now, I'm sure I was awful. I got positive feedback for how I was doing it. And um, so I just started, you know, I started trying more of those things, studying in those areas, of, of being intentional about learning in those areas. And I, I think that the calling found me as much as I found it, but I was open and I was aware and I was intentional. Beautiful. I have another question to ask you, but you just mentioned something else that also deserves, at least in my mind, some attention. And that is you talked about studying, being intentional, kind of thinking about your future while you're still dealing with the present. So tell us a little bit more, Kevin, what recommendations would you have for leaders who obviously need to do their jobs and really excel at it, but always want to be thinking a little bit ahead? How do they maintain balance there? And specifically, what have you found that really works well in terms of learning and advancing your skill set? Well, you know, we've never lived in a time any better for us to find uh, ways and avenues and and methods and approaches for learning. So, you know, that's we're fortunate in that regard. I I think the key, I'll go back to a word that I used earlier, which is intentional. Here's what I would tell people. You're busy. You've got a work. You've got a lot of work to do as a leader at whatever level you are, but you're thinking about the future. What you need to do is say, hey, what's going to be my learning focus for the next six months or year? And pick one or two things. And then rather than just to keep dipping, your toes in. Certainly, if you're listening to this podcast, you want to continue to listen to this podcast, but or whatever of those kinds of things, you want some sort of general nurture. But really what you want to do is you want to say, hey, I want to work. I'm just going to pick something. I want to work on being a better listener. So for six months, make that your focus in your daily 
work. Be intentional about being a better listener. Read three great books about listening. Find everything on YouTube you can about listening. I mean, I'm just picking that as an example, right? But in other words, be intentional and say, I'm going on a learning journey. I've set a learning goal in the certain area. That'd be my advice. That's great advice. You know, I've had a few conversations about this issue and I'm getting different, you know, ideas from different people. I think this is the first time that somebody talked about being intentional with such a long-term view to really drill down deeply specific to, you know, a particular area. So I think as Lead to Succeed Nation is listening to the podcast and we're mining for gold here, this is a really great point because I think that, you know, sometimes, for example, I have an audible account and, sure. and I'll get different, I'll get different, you know, uh, audio books that, that populate my inbox and I'll download this one and I'll download that one. And each one is great. But I can't necessarily say that I'm being strategic as far as what particular you know type of information I am taking in at, at, at a given time. And what I'm hearing from you is that you really need to be strategic about your learning the same way, for example, that you need to be strategic about your business goals. Am I understanding that correctly? Well, yeah. I mean, if you want to be a more be more effective in any part of your role as a leader, that's you're setting a goal. So why not look at it the same way? That would be my approach. And that is my approach. Absolutely. And my advice to the people that I train and the people that I coach. So here's a new question for you, Kevin. You know, I read I read your bio and of course it's extremely impressive. But you call yourself And far too long. I but that's that's another issue. It's far too long. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> no, don't worry about it. Um, but specifically what I want to focus is on is you you identify yourself as the chief potential officer of the Kevin Eikenberry group. And so my question is, is that just like cute branding or what do you mean specifically when you talk about the chief potential officer? What are you trying to communicate with that? Well, so the first thing, as you know, when it's your company, you can call yourself whatever you want. And so why not pick a name now? So if I wanted to, number one, I wanted to be unique and I wanted to create conversation and uh, it's doing that right now. Yes, absolutely. Very successful. Almost every time someone gets my business hands, I hand them a business card or I get introduced at a speech. It almost always is like the comment that a person makes outside of what's been prepared. So from that perspective, it's doing. I wanted it to be unique. I wanted it to set me apart. Uh, if you want to think about it from a marketing and branding perspective, but it's very. If there wasn't such a thing as a chief learning officer, that's what I would have picked. But since there are those people, I had to pick something else. So I picked chief potential officer because I'm in the business, and our company is in the business of helping people reach their potential. So uh, both for me at with the team that I lead, the team of twelve or thirteen people currently that I lead, but also for all of those that we're. Uh, coaching and training and them speaking with and, and those that we're writing to and all those things. So we're in the business of helping people reach their potential. So why not be the chief potential officer? I love it. It's a great title. And absolutely, the idea of reaching your potential is something that I think all of us aspire for. So let's let's stay with that because you work with some pretty awesome leaders. But at the same time, we all know that leaders have better days and lesser days. And I think it's important for Lead to Succeed Nation to continually hear throughout the podcast conversations that I have with great leaders and great um, thought leaders as well, is situations where maybe they had an element of challenge, bouts of weakness, things of this sort. And so my question to you, Kevin, is did you ever suffer from a bout of uh, weak self-confidence, meaning to say like you're working with great people and you're wondering, do I have anything to teach this person? Is there anything that this person hasn't already accomplished that I could add? And, and, and how did you overcome that? 
So I think you've, I think you've really asked two questions there, and I try to address both. So first of all, have I ever had had moments of of low self confidence? Well, hello. I, I think anyone who says that they haven't is is lying to you. So of course I have. But in the content, and and I and I think that if someone really never felt that they had, even, and I'm not saying. You know, I think we all go through seasons, right? And maybe that season is a day or a few hours uh, or, you know, and the moment of a disappointment or whatever. But our job is to make sure that we don't stay there, languish there. But you asked a second question that I think I think was really where you were headed, which was when when you're in that spot or when you're working with someone or when I'm working with someone who's really quite impressive, have I ever wondered what can I teach them? Well, my answer to that is that that's not really the question that I think about. The question, especially if I'm coaching someone, if it's a one-on-one conversation, my job isn't to teach them. My job is to help them teach themselves. So uh, I'm in the business of asking them the right questions to help them discover what they need to discover. Uh, that doesn't mean that sometimes people don't ask me for my advice, but it's usually framed around helping them through the magical wisdom. Things. So even if I'm in that moment of self, lower self-confidence for myself, my Goal is always to be creating a coaching conversation or a learning conversation, which means I can ask a great question regardless of how I'm feeling about myself. Sure. I hear that. And that makes a lot of sense. But you know, when you were talking, I was thinking about something that I wanted to ask you about. And I'm not sure that, you know, there's really an answer to this. But, you know, sometimes I find that my biggest bout of, let's call it, questioning that occurs must happen overnight. Because I'll wake up in the morning and I'll feel like these, you know, these gremlins sort of hanging over me. And I kind of have to bust through the fog a little bit and get myself juiced and get myself going. And then I get those self-doubts out of my head. And I'm just wondering if this is the kind of thing that people will have at a particular time of day or a particular type of experience where where they tend to become more self-doubting. And on on a regular basis, and if you've ever experienced this, is there any routine that you would recommend that would help leaders sort of break through and and not really be bothered by these, you know, as they're going through their day? Sure, I can't say the research immediately, but I think that my experience would say that there probably are trends and they're more personal in nature. So you're saying yours are first thing in the morning. I think some people's maybe are late in the day. They're frustrated by they didn't get as much accomplished as they wanted. And so, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I think it could happen at any time for any of us, but I think it's useful to figure out are the, is there a rhythm to it? Is there a trend to it? Is there a, is there a time of day? And then I think you want to create uh, some affirmations. You want to create a routine. You want to create something that you do to help you move past it, whether it's uh, prayer or meditation, whether it's reading something uplifting and inspiring, uh, whether it's going for a walk. I mean, I think that you need to figure out the thing that might help you and then make that happen for you based on when you find the dips in self-confidence happening for you. Sure. Yeah, I I don't know if there's a routine in advance of going to bed. I'm trying to think of, you know, how to apply how do I apply your wisdom as I do this? So I can absolutely tell you this, and that is think about what you're doing, and I'm not just talking talking to you, right? But think about what you're doing right before bed. Uh like, you know, think about, you know, checking email before bed, probably not the right right answer. To getting on Facebook before bed, probably not the right answer. Right. Reading for 10 minutes or 15 minutes, something positive lifting or related to your learning goal is, uh-huh. is infusing the right kind of new input, 
that's going into your subconscious right before bed. And, and, and that's what, oh, and, or, uh, make your list. Some people talk about making their key list of items to do the next day, not the list of 44 things on the to-do list of which you will get six done, but yeah, rather yeah. what are the two things that you really need to make sure you accomplish tomorrow so that you set that in your head and let your subconscious work on that overnight. So well, that's, that, that's what I would do. You're, you're sort of invoking my inner Brian Tracy here <laughs> as we talk about the idea of setting your plans and that you should know. It's very interesting because I'm I'm a big believer of the concept, but actually I, I sometimes find that by the time I get to the evening goal setting, which right now on my phone buzzes at about 10 o'clock local time, I find that my head is maybe just not clear enough anymore or I'm just too tired. And so I'm thinking of moving it up a little bit, but I agree with you 100%. Yeah, because if it's not working, adjust it, right? You yeah, know, absolutely. Someone can say right before you go to bed, you say like, that's not me. Like I can do that. Well, then don't. Then find out what does work, right? And, you know, some people say, I'm going to do it right before I end my work day. And, you know, I think there are some other advantages to later, like we've been talking about. But if the end of the day, like I'd rather have you do it than not do it. So if you have to do it at five o'clock, do it at five o'clock. Yeah. Great advice. So I want to go a little further with this because I'm sure you have a great answer here. Tell me a great leadership lesson that you've learned from one of your clients. Oh, it's it's a long list. I think one of the things that, I mean, I've learned a lot from clients about asking better questions. And it sometimes from, since we were already on that topic, sometimes from their example, but often from when I have done it well, the impact of it. Right. So that's certainly one lesson that I've learned. I, I have learned long ago that the best leaders ask more and assert less. And I don't know that I can say that I learned it from one particular leader, but it's certainly something that I learned from clients over time. Sure. And I think that asking is really very important because it builds trust. It creates a sense of connection. And ultimately, it allows people to really share information, which can be very insightful. And oftentimes, you know, really create the next bit breakthrough. So that was fantastic. All I would add to that is this, is yeah, that yeah. when we ask, we're doing something else. And that is we're letting the other person know that we value their input. And especially as a leader, there's tremendous value that comes from that. And in terms of creating more commitment from our folks, building trust with our folks, adding, building the re- relationship, as you said, there's a there's a whole bunch of great stuff that happens simply by us making the effort to and being intentional about asking more and a certain less. Let's stay there for a second, Kevin, because I'm very curious on this point. You know, I've done a lot of research and of course, through my own leadership experiences, I certainly value the importance of asking questions. But at what point do you feel like you've asked enough questions and now it's time to, you know, make some decisions and take action? How do you advise your clients and the leaders you work with of where that transition point is? Well, I think it's really, it needs to be really clear about it's first of all, it's situational and you need to be really clear about what, what was the intention of the asking, right? Like, so for example, if you've already made a decision, don't ask people what they think, just tell them this is what we're going to do. Like, if that's truly what you did, you know, don't, don't make it a game is my, my first thing. And the second thing sure. is you say, Hey, you know, I really want your input uh, as a part of me making the final decision. So I really want your input or the team's input or whatever. So what do you all think? Now, if over time people believe that you've already decided, then that's going to be a, a, a tough go, right? But you built the trust or, or are willing to invest to build the trust, then people will know that you're asking to gain their input, uh, knowing that 
In other words, however, whatever the next step is, let people know what that's going to be, right? Hey, you know, hey, I want, we're going to have a discussion and then we're going to come to a collective decision or I want your input and then I'm going to make a decision. But I really want to know what your perspectives are before I make a final call. It's interesting because you're, you're using some language there, which I think is very insightful. You're letting your people know is what I'm hearing that you have a, you're sort of trending towards a decision or this is the direction you want to move in. And so when you ask the question, you're, you're contextualizing it so people understand that, you know, you've got some thoughts, but you want their input, and then you're sort of going to move forward based off of that, as opposed to what I'm, again, this is what I'm hearing, that you're not just, I'm trying to phrase this properly, you're not just putting questions out there, but you're, you're framing the direction of the question so people know where you're going with it so they don't feel like he asked me, you know, why didn't he listen to me? Am I, am I understanding that correctly? Yeah. And, and one of the thing is that when we ask, we ought to be clear about what our intention is and they need to be clear too. So like right now, it's very clear why you're asking me questions. You want to get me to talk to you in relationship to this podcast, right? But That's if we're correct. in a different situation, then sometimes, especially as the leader, when we when there's an inherent power imbalance between us and the other person, people aren't sure why we're even asking, right? So when we can contextualize, to use your word, or when we can provide people with the intention as to why we're asking, it will make all the difference in making people far more comfortable and understand why that you're asking and be willing to answer. Beautiful. Okay. So we got to go a little bit further, Kevin, because we talked a lot about leadership and your insights are fantastic, but there are other parts to your profile that we have to dig into a little bit as well. And I'm interested specifically because I also blog. Um, you can certainly see my blog at impactfulcoaching.com forward slash blog. What do you feel, Kevin, are some secrets? Because you've had a very successful blog. I've had the opportunity of reading a lot of your content and enjoying it tremendously. What would you say if any of the leaders who are listening to this podcast are writing their own blog or interested in doing so, some, some tricks of the trade that you could share that will really help people get their blog going, getting people to read it, to engage with it? Well, I think that, you know, I mean, there, there may be a slightly different uh, answer if I were talking to a leader who was thinking about writing a blog internally than if I was talking to someone who's in a business more like you or I. But in either case, here would be part of my answer. Uh, be consistent. You know, lots of people get excited. And as we're recording this, I don't know when it's going to be released, but as we're recording this, we're nearing the end of the year. So a lot of early February. Done. OK, so by now people have done their New Year's resolutions and uh, they've already let them slide to the wayside. But my, <laughs> but my point is this. Oftentimes people decide to do something like a blog and they get all excited. Right. And you've got to be consistent in writing and being consistent does several things. It helps you find your voice. It helps people find you and decide to keep following because there's something there. I mean, you go to a blog and there's three posts. Well, then that's all there is. Right. Uh, but in my case, I've been blogging since 2004. And so in the normal week now, there would be one, two, three, four things posted on my blog uh, in a given week. So it, it doesn't mean that you have to have four things a week. It, it may mean that you have one something every two weeks. Right. But you need to be consistent because that's what helps the reader, but it's also what helps you and it holds you accountable. I mean, if it was a good idea to start it, you ought to do it long enough to see if it adds value. And and I would also say that while we all want to have readers, uh, of course, uh, and, you know, if I had none, I probably would stop, I suppose. But I can also tell you that that if no one read, it would have been worth my time because of what I learned by clarifying my thinking and, and finding things 
to write about. The last thing I'll say about that is you will go through seasons. If you blog for a long period of time, you will go through seasons where you've got a bunch of great ideas and then you're like, what am I supposed to write about now? And quite honestly, back to your self-confidence question, sometimes I'm like, okay, what am I going to write about that I had already written about? What can I write about this week that, you know, or, or next month or whatever, that I've got something fresh and unique to say. So you're going to go through seasons of that and you need to just press on. And the last thing I will say is if you're trying to figure out what you're going to write today, today, it will be much harder than if you have some sort of editorial calendar that says like right now, the main article piece that I would write each week that would come out on a Monday morning is currently like I know. I've written the one we're recording this on a Friday. It's written for Monday. And like right now, I know what the next four articles are going to be. I got a title already. Now I've written them, but I know what they're going to be, which allows my subconscious back to our overnight conversation to be thinking about them. And it keeps me heading in that direction. So if you're blogging and you want to be more consistent, get ahead, not necessarily ahead in writing, although you could, but at least get ahead on what you're going to write. Now, sometimes something will inspire me and I'll move something else in front of that, that's okay. But then you've still got three, four weeks out. You know, you and I are recording this in Jan in December. It's going to come out in February, which means you've already got other, you've got these in the can ready to go leading up to that. You're not scrambling to get podcast to get podcast done. The week ones do, and we shouldn't be doing this, you know, same thing with blog either. Got it. Okay. That's fantastic. And it sounds like the concept of being intentional again, as you're planning out not only your calendar, but your topics. So you mentioned the podcast and we just talked about the blog. So let's compare the two of them. And between the two, blogging and podcasting, which do you personally enjoy more, Kevin? And which has been more helpful to you in terms of getting out your message and your name? So first of all, blog.kevineikenberry.com, where you can also find all of the podcasts, but you can also get the podcast at remarkablepodcast.com. And we're going to share that, by the way, Kevin, in the uh, in the show notes. Everybody will be able to see it. And that's really great. Thank you for mentioning that. So I would say, well, certainly I've been blogging far longer. So in terms of finding the message, and, and, you know, there's been a way more there. And, and in fact, I waited a long time to podcast uh, because I wanted to make sure if I was going to do it, that I would commit to it. And we do one once a week and I'm recording. In fact, in about 20 minutes, when we finish this conversation, I'm recording two for myself today. And we're up, we're approaching, by the time this uh, episode airs, we'll be approaching episode 90 some something. And Congratulations. Week, right? So thank you. So, but again, making the decision to be intentional about it, I think is important. To answer the first part of your question, I like doing them both. I'm not sure I like one more than the other. They're different. But in terms of overall value, simply by length of time uh, invested and you know, content that's available for people to find the blog would be higher. Whether that will continue to be true, we'll have to wait and see. Okay. Awesome. So now it's time for our rapid fire segment. We're going to lift the curtain a little bit more, learn about Kevin Eikenberry behind the scenes, so to speak, and uh, really get a window into your life. Tell me the best thing about living in Indiana. The best thing about living in Indiana is the single best thing. Well, I will say this. It's not where I'm going to live my the entire rest of my life. So I'll say that. The best thing right now is that my daughter is in college an hour away. My son and daughter-in-law live 10 minutes away, and we're only an hour and a half from my in-laws. So there's, there's, I'll say for now, it's proximity to family 
would be the same. That is super important. Actually, I don't know if you're aware of this, Kevin, but I lived in Chicago for a bunch of years. Mm -hmm. And so we were just a stone throw away from Indiana. And it was always a pleasure to drive through the state and spend some time there. I think is the official name Crossroads of America. Is that correct? Yeah, that's what they, I think that's what they call the city of Indianapolis and that, yeah, Crossroads, you know, we got interstates coming in from every direction coming in and through Indianapolis. So there's a lot of things we've lived here for 20 plus years and, and we chose to move here. But I would say if you ask me the single thing right now, it'd be, it'd be that. Fair enough. If you were repositioned from CEO or CPO to sports coach, which sport would it be and why? Well, my favorite sport is basketball, and it's probably the one I know the most about. So that probably be the best place for me to head would probably be basketball. Okay. And I think uh, as the Hoosier State, Indiana is very famous for its basketball. So that's perfect. Yeah, I got to be careful. You got to be careful with that, though. Even though it is the Hoosier State, I'm not a Hoosier. Yeah. I'm a Boilermaker. Ooh, ooh, I know what you're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, and I wasn't born here. So I don't really like to claim that H word at all, uh, either by birth or anything else. So anyway, but yes. Understood. Okay. You're really, you're really, you're really giving us some insight into some local politics. We appreciate it. (laughs) That's great. Your favorite flavor of ice cream. There's no such thing as one favorite flavor. Right now, today, I would say black raspberry chocolate chip. Mm, That sounds good. Even in the, even in the wintertime when we're recording this. And the last one, the most clever or humorous comic strip that you've ever read. I haven't read a comic strip in a long time. Probably the comic strip that I've read the most throughout my life is probably Peanuts. And as a kid, we had a book that was a compilation of a lot of uh, Peanuts comics. And I read a biography of Schultz once. So I'll just say Peanuts. You absolutely cannot go wrong there. All right, Kevin, here's an opportunity for you to talk a little bit more, share with Lead to Succeed Nation a little bit more about your work, where they could reach you, find out more about the great things you're doing. So I'll just say two things. As this is coming out in February, we'll just we'll still be a ways out from um, the new book that you mentioned earlier, The Long Distance Leader. But if people can go to remoteleadershipinstitute.com and learn more about what we're doing around remote leaders and to learn more about that new book. But back to our conversation about learning, if you'd like to get access to a free series that we call 13 Days to Remarkable Leadership, which include 13 email delivered short videos of one a day for 13 days. We'd love to have you join us. And you can do that at kevineikenberry.com forward slash 13 days, one, three days. Absolutely. That's fantastic. And I'm going to include, as I mentioned before, all of your links in the show notes. So Lead to Succeed Nation could click on those links and absolutely should be doing that to make sure to get access to all of the great information and resources that you're putting out there. Finally, Kevin, before I let you go, Leave us, please, with one final life lesson. Well, I guess the theme today has been intentional. So I'll I'll leave you with that, that the best leaders are intentional. Uh, The best leaders are, well, all of us who are leading are leading by example. And we would hope that the example that we're leading by is one worthy of being followed. So I will leave you with the idea that to be a, a highly effective, to be a remarkable leader requires that we be intentional, to recognize that people are always watching us and to hold ourselves to a standard that says, are they watching what I want them to repeat? Wow, very powerful. Okay, Kevin, it's been fantastic really chatting with you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, making time out of your busy schedule. I know how difficult it's been just to really get you on the calendar because you're traveling and so many things going on. But it's really, really been an honor for me to learn from you 
and to really pick your brain a little bit and uh, you know uncover so many different elements about leadership that we've discussed today. Well, it's been a pleasure to be with you. Thanks for having me. Today's leadership quote is, I am not afraid of an army of lions led by a sheep. I'm afraid of an army of sheep led by a lion. Alexander the Great. Thanks so much for listening to this episode and for investing in yourself so that you could lead to succeed. Before you go, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show. Your feedback gives social proof and encourages more folks to listen. Social media junkies, please share this recording with your networks and tag me as well. I'm on Facebook and Instagram at Naftali Hoff and on Twitter as at Impactful Coach.